I find myself thinking a lot about differences between men and women. People tend to wonder, especially in the circles that I live in, why I would choose to seemingly emphasize differences, differences that, after all, if they are social constructs, don't exist to many people. This is already one difference between me and others. First, that just because it's a social construct doesn't mean it's not real. I do not have a reality that is not socially constructed. There's an implication from the point of view of objectivity that something that is social something that is socially constructed is somehow less real but to me there is nothing more real than that there's no way for us to exist out of social reality so that doesn't really diminish its value as a category and often when people suggest that we go away with these categories they usually want to keep many other categories and to me if you can get rid of these categories why not get rid of others that have less predictive power and that's why I keep them is because they do have predictive power and it's actually been an extremely difficult lesson for me to learn. I've had a lot of surprise in my life from treating men and women as if they were the same. I grew up in a Southeast Asian family, a Southeast Asian Seventh-day Adventist family, which means a lot of the strong views on what men and women are were present. In addition, this was in a Muslim country. So you have strong demarcations, yes. But by the time I was a teenager, I definitely had a lot of values in me that said otherwise. So I strongly believed in the notion of equality. And part of this notion was that we are the same and that that meant you could predict men and women by assigning them the same motivations or the same intentions. And it's taken a long time for me to get past this because it's a very strong belief. It's a very um, seductive belief in our context because it's part of the dominant value system that we are exposed to. The idea that everyone is kind of the same in order to include everyone. Because part of the assumption is that in order to include someone, they have to be the same as you. Now, this is kind of weird uh, in retrospect, but it does seem to be a deep-seated assumption that a lot of people have. Um, if you look at a soccer team... The players aren't equal in what they're doing. They're doing different things. 
but they're all necessary for the team to win. And so that's the analogy I use now, favoring inclusion over sameness. But that's a conclusion that I've only reached after a lot of trying very hard to believe that everyone was the same. And this led to a lot of heartache and a lot of pain for the women in my life and for me because I would treat them like I treated myself, like I treated men. And they did not like this. They do not like it, in fact, now when I do that. And when I say men and women, I do mean the masculine and the feminine more than uh, who has a penis or who has a vagina or who has what hormonal balance. Though, those do correlate very strongly. Nine, maybe, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be the same thing, no matter what anyone says. No matter what they tell you to their face about what they prefer, they usually end up preferring whatever is correlated with their genitals. And sometimes I I spot people in the wild who I realize through the implicit expectations they have of behavior are actually, um, say, women, even though they have a penis, and even though they have not introduced themselves as a trans woman or whatever, or uh, even more rarely that they are men, (laughs) even though they have a vagina. That is, they experience less surprise when you treat them as a masculine individual. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't have an extremely feminine woman who does masculine things, very masculine things. In fact, I think this is kind of becoming the new normal. When I think about who I've been attracted to most versus who I want to be attracted to, I think because of those values that I talked about earlier, I've wanted to be attracted to people who who are kind of defying these norms. However, when I look at what I'm actually attracted to, it turns out that I'm attracted to extremely masculine men and extremely feminine women or people who are extremely androgynous, right down the middle, um, who you sincerely can't tell whether they're one or the other. And everyone in between kind of seems like they're suppressing themselves to me. Um, Again, you can have an extremely feminine woman who does very masculine things and an extremely feminine man that does um, very masculine things as well. When I think about how I used to be treated, people kind of expected me to be gay, and they treated me like I was in a feminine role when I was in a hyper-masculine environment, when I was in the military, when I was in the South. And I kind of filled that role, even though at the time, I was basically a straight man. Which is to say, they protected me like they would protect a woman. 
they uh, catered to my feelings, like they would cater to the feelings of a woman, and so on, which is weird. Um, and then when I moved up here to the Pacific Northwest, I think because this is such a feminine environment, I have found myself in the opposite situation where people think I'm straight, even though I'm um, bisexual now. And that is probably because of connecting masculinity with straightness and uh, femininity with gayness, even though there have always been hyper-masculine gay men. In fact, again, like I, in what I was talking about, what I'm attracted to earlier, I have a preference for hyper-masculine gay men if I'm going to be attracted to a man. In the same way that I seem to have a preference for hyper-feminine women when I'm attracted to a woman. So, when I speak of femininity or masculinity, I'm talking about the first impulse, the first shape of movement or behavior that comes out of the unknown. So, again, this means that the fundamental nature of femininity is something that is pulling. And the fundamental nature of masculinity is something that is pushing. When a woman says something, most of the time, she is saying that thing in order to get you to feel something. When a man says something, most of the time, he is saying something in order to mark out space. In a way that lends itself well to whatever action he's concentrating on. And these are things that everyone does. I'm just speaking to how they exist. So I've been experimenting with calling them push and pull in the same way in Eastern culture they're often called yin and yang. Since due to our social systems and the politics or moral control that arises from them, talking about these things now is often fraught. And by fraught, I mean the moment I say something about men or women, it will usually trigger a disgust reaction in someone in such a way that would stop them from listening or noticing what I'm saying. So because of this, I have been experimenting with using the terms push and pull. But don't be taken in by my propagandism, by my marketing. At the end of the day, I am talking about men and women. Because every man has to have women in him in order to interact with them. You are always modeling the person you're interacting with, and you come across many women as a man. Similarly, as a woman, you come across many men. And in order to interact with them, you have models of them that you interact with in your brain. Which means that every man has women in him, and every woman has men in her. Speaking 
again to what a masculine man or feminine woman might be. It is not the markers. You can have a feminine woman who learns combat sports, who's very aggressive, who talks mostly as if she's talking about marking things in space, though usually the underlying motivation might be to get someone to feel something. Similarly, you might have a man who does very feminine things, wears makeup, wears dresses, uh, wears wigs, uh, spends a lot of time thinking about social relationships and how people interact with each other, cooks a lot of food, you know, does a lot of nurturing things, but nonetheless, the intention behind it, the motivation behind it, is to push. So, when I talk about masculinity and femininity, femininity in people, when I call someone masculine, I don't necessarily mean that they have giant muscles and that they only watch football and drink beer for fun or whatever or, you know, work in the garage, though it can include all those things and usually does. But someone whose very first underlying motivation is a masculine motivation. The same goes for someone feminine. I am speaking about the underlying first detectable motivation underneath every action. And so if more of those turn out to be pulling, then in my mind, they get read as feminine. And this category is useful because then if I treat that person as if that is their motivation, they don't get upset. You know, uh, a big surprise to me is that no matter what someone says about their preferences of how they are to be treated, um, especially if they're not an autistic male, if you don't detect what their implicit expectations are and meet those, they will often get upset. A weird thing about modern queer culture, weird because, you know, hyper-masculine gay culture was a thing once upon a time, and still is, though it's not talked about as much or not as seen, I think, because the other queers like to distance themselves from it. But anyway, a weird thing about queer culture is that most queers are essentially feminine. When someone says they're non-binary, not always, but most of the time, you will not surprise them, you will not anger them, if you simply just treat them like a woman, um, no matter what their genitals are. And this is a curious phenomenon to me. I'm not sure what purpose it's serving at the moment other than maybe to fit in with this new tribe that is coalescing, to say that you don't belong to a thing even though you act like a belong to a thing, uh, forces other people to either play your game or not, uh, 
And if they play your game, if they call you what you want to be called, even as you act like something else, then that says that they are on your side. And if they don't, then that says they are not, which then justifies your attacks on them. Or at least you are acting like you need to defend from their attack, which then gives you more social control over parts of the population. I am also reminded of clownfish and other species that due to pressures in the environment will change their sex in order to make up for the lack of one or the other. If there is one thing that humans are exceptionally good at it is coming up with tools to do things that the rest of nature already does somewhere else. I believe that just as when I was in a hyper-masculine environment, I behaved a little more feminine, and now when I'm in a hyper-feminine environment, I behave a little more masculine, that society at large has the ability to use its individuals to change into roles that it needs. Given that males or people with penises are better at being changed in some ways, being changed in favor of some long-term ideal than women, it makes sense to me that more men being flexible in this way would turn into women. Especially now that we have the technology to make it even more complete, this change. Our population has not experienced anything close to total war, either with the environment or with other humans in quite some time. The expendability and adaptation to stress that males have an advantage in, and I'm talking about any stress, even stress like uh, being insulted when you're playing a game, you know, that tends to be taken more harshly uh, for a feminine person. They may be more discouraged about going down that same avenue. Whereas for a masculine person, that's just kind of part of the deal. So someone insulting them might not stop them as easily. In fact, it might help them because now they have resistance. And I think males are well suited to dealing with resistance. Again, part of this lack of total war versus either the environment or each other means there's less resistance for males to deal with. 
And because of this, there is less of a purpose for them in our society. Since there is no physical frontier at the moment that we are heavily going toward, besides space, and who is really interested in going to space, gender-wise, I ask you. Besides that, we don't have much of a frontier to throw our men at, because men are meant to die at higher rates. Um, it's part of their expendability, it's part of their purpose. They, without that purpose, tend to lose a sense of meaning and commit suicide in higher percentages in the population. Though increasingly, a selection of these men who would otherwise commit suicide without resistance are finding purpose and meaning through being more feminine, through being women, because there is still a place, a demand for lots of women in our society, which is kind of weird since women are the childbearing side and everyone, regardless of sexuality, is really not having kids besides a few minorities. There is a underlying fear that the world is not good enough for children and that has resulted in less children, yet maybe this is also telling the population to make more women in the hopes that more things will be borne out. And even though trans women cannot have babies in the old way, maybe society will find a way for them to do nurturing things that are similar. So I wonder what this future holds, both for all the kinds of men and women that we might find. One of the things I've noticed that others can attest to is something like a societal level shit test. A shit test is when a woman in a heterosexual dyad pretends to be upset about something or is being quote-unquote unreasonable about something in order to test the determination of the man that she is in that relationship with. Hmm. It seems like feminism has resulted in that for men of the society. That is, men are increasingly punished verbally for being men, and this is a sort of test. It's a question of can they overcome this verbal punishment, this normative pressure to be not men and become men? Can they act like men even when there is no social incentive to act like a man?
or at least no apparent immediate one. Because the men that will be left, the men who will behave strongly in masculine ways, will turn out to be even more manly, uh, even more masculine, and even more robust and capable with the present environment than the men who came before. You can see this in how, if you know a large enough group of liberal feminist women, how their attraction ultimately is strongest towards more masculine men. So even if they say they prefer a man who would describe himself as a feminist or one that fits their values, when it comes to actual relationships, when it comes to actual sex, they tend not to be as excited by those men as they are by more of a good old boy in a garage playing football or whatever. And this is a curious situation that I think really does show that a lot of these things are acting as a societal level shit test. So if you're a man, hang on, uh, or become a woman. Those are essentially your choices. I'm sure, looking at all the people I know, and myself, that either option is pretty good. Either way, staying depressed about your place is only necessarily for as long as you are depressed about your place. Um, when you appreciate whatever that place is, it will pass. I promise. <laughs>